I want to try to solve a mystery this morning in some degree, or at least correct a misunderstanding. Um, solve a mystery and correct a misunderstanding. Help you to learn a little bit on some of you newer believers on how to interpret Scripture, what we call hard passages of Scripture, passages that when you read them, you just scratch your head and go, what in the world is he talking about? Have you had that? I've had that. And so this, for many years, this passage eluded me, really, and what in the world Jesus meant by what he said here. So I'll read a little preface, you know, a text without a context, a pretext. So we'll read a little context of the verses and then uh, try to explain it as the Holy Spirit let it happen. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing therein but leaves only and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. When the disciples saw it, they marveled. They did a lot of marveling. <laughs> Being around Jesus will cause you to marvel. That's a sermon right there, brother. Being around Jesus will cause you to marvel. They marveled, saying, how soon is a fig tree withered away? I've seen some people that, that they almost have that same effect on plants. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also you shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and it shall be done. And he goes on further. And all things, circle the all things, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing. And you ought to circle the next three words, ye shall receive. Now you understand, does that... You're sitting there already saying, well, I've prayed for a lot of things and it didn't happen. My mother used to say, God always answers prayer. Yes, no, wait. I thought, well, I guess that's true, amen. But there, there's a, a few things you've got to understand, and then I'm going to help you interpret this passage. If you have doubts, some of you older folks know where I'm going. I believe I can help you with this hard passage because... Is it true that all things, is it totally unconditional all things uh, that you pray for believing you receive? You want a brand new Dodge Longhorn Laramie decked out four-wheel drive? Or do you want a Jeep all decked out, jacked up kit, the jack up kit, you know, and the whole bit of special fenders? I mean, is that you, you pray without doubting you got, that's going to be out in front of your house or... You know there's people out there on TV that say that's so. Amen. 
what happens is those false prophets on TV will often disillusion people who will go to the Bible and look this verse up and start praying. And, and you know, they'll say, well, Lord Jesus, I need, and it won't happen. And they'll say, well, their God's not true. The Bible's not true. It's a bunch of bunk. And it really hurts the truth. But what was Jesus saying? Well, first, when it comes to praying, there's a few conditions. Because when you interpret scripture, you must you cannot take one scripture uh, and, and, and make a doctrine out of it. You, you must go to the whole Bible. The Holy Spirit wrote the whole Bible. And the Holy Spirit being in knows the beginning and the ending. He, he doesn't contradict himself. Uh, he, he explains everything wholly and completely and perfectly in the big picture in the whole Bible. So they say first mention, last mention, comparative mention. And as you look at the first mention, last mention, comparative mention on any one doctrine, you'll get the whole teaching of the truth, and that will balance you, keep you from heresy. Heresy simply means to go too far. A guy on TV that says that you can pray for a brand new Cadillac and it'll be out in the front. The only reason it's not out in the front because you don't have enough faith. And if you send in a few bucks, he'll give. So the Bible is clear that we receive First John five fourteen if we pray according to His will. That's big. That's big, amen. And the Bible says in James four three that if you ask in prayer to heap up things just on your own desires, the word lusts, or 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 to ask just to, to build something that's not in God's will, you're not going to get it. Uh, it says in James chapter one verse six or seven that if you if you when you ask God and when you come to God, if you're double minded. Like one day you live for God, one day you don't. One day you're on, one day you're off. He said, don't let that double-minded person think that he shall receive anything from God. And, and then in Psalm 66, 18, it says, uh, if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord won't hear you. So that means if you're in open, knowing sin against the, uh, and the Holy Spirit's already told you what you're doing is wrong, you say, well, I want to do it anyway. Don't, act, don't expect to get anything from God. It's not God's fault. Because God is in the blessing business. He wants to bless his people. But not like the guy on TV is trying to tell you. Not in an unconditional manner. Because what in the world would happen if it was unconditional? You'd have craziness. There's a lot of people praying for the death of our president right now. But I'm glad they're not getting an answer. Well, they are, they are getting no I mean, you can't take one scripture and make a whole doctrine out of it. You got to take the whole. You you can't. Uh, anybody ever eaten souffle in here? Souffle, souffle, souffle. You French people. It's more than one ingredient. Any anybody eaten quiche? Quiche. I love it when I go someplace and I see this little piece of pie. I say, oh, a piece of pie. No, that's quiche. And I'm thinking, quiche, what in the world is that? I ate some of it. It's actually pretty good. It's just eggs and a few things put together. But there's more than one ingredient in souffle. I just like to say it. It just comes out of here. Souffle and quiche. And 
And I asked my, my daughter-in-law, I was on vacation, they're out of here this week, but uh, in fact, every, be honest with you, my son's on vacation every day. But anyway, um, I hope he don't watch this. He probably never listens to my stuff. Anyway, he grew up with me. I preached to him every day. Yes. Anyway, his employees are here. I appreciate that. Um, but you, it takes more than one ingredient. That's the way it is with the Bible. Jesus is speaking in this passage, according to the whole. He's speaking about obstacles that are going to come into your life as you live the Christian life. He's speaking about obstacles. No doubt by referring to a mountain, he's referring to a large obstacle, an impenetrable obstacle, an immovable obstacle. And just like you, when you first read that, or maybe not your first reading, but even in your hundredth reading, a mountain is an impossible obstacle. I believe our life is full of these types of obstacles. And we need to know how, by the grace of God, to move them. Have you ever heard of Murphy's Law? Don't you just love Murphy? Try to build something. Try to fix something. Try to make something. Try to implement something. All you get, resistance and resistance and resistance. Uh, why we put we put special music uh, words to the songs up here, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, it's hard to even put the words to those songs up there without finding a mistake in them. And some of you professional uh, English people just love it when we spell something wrong or or we make up a new word. But I'm going to tell you, it's not as easy to do as you think. It's it's hard to even put a church bulletin out. A weekly without at least one error or two errors, and sometimes we just don't even get the date right. But don't be too hard on the people doing it, even though we have three or four proofreaders and all of them go by the same mistake. And I'm one of the proofreaders. This this whole thing of resistance can be so tiresome. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm tired. I'm getting more, more as I get over of all this resistance that we, it feels like in life I'm swimming against the current. But unless you understand obstacles and how to overcome them, you are in for a lot of hurt and a lot of confusion in this life. Jesus wants you to be able to understand you have a source available to you that's out of this to help you. And so in this passage, Jesus tries to help his disciples because they're just, they're a bunch, you know, not, not all of them, but a few of them are fishermen. I identify with fishermen. A fisherman knows resistance, man. A fisherman has to go against bad weather. He has to go against his boat breaking down. He has to go against fishing all night, not catching anything. He has to go against when you find the fish, the net breaks. Uh, and you can't get them all in. He has to, he has to uh, go against nobody wants the fish once you bring him to shore. The market's full and won't give you anything for the fish. Oh, they don't want, I don't want them. You know, da, da, da. So there's a lot of resistance and all that. And the fishermen know. These, some of these disciples were fishermen. Jesus wants to help them. And so I believe the key, as you computer people, 
know what it is to have a key. You know, if you don't have the word, the key word, you don't get in. And you don't have the password, you don't get in. I think what the password, what the key to interpreting this passage is found in John chapter 6. So turn to John chapter 6, if you would, and verse 53 to 58. Now, this is another hard passage. So I'm going to use one hard passage to help interpret another hard passage, the one which was our text this morning. In John chapter 6, verse 53 and 58, a tremendously worldwide misinterpreted scripture. And you'll know why when we read it. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Right away you're going, what? Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Right now you're saying, well, I want eternal life, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, I live by the Father, so that he eateth me, and even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Now he just referred to just what he said. He, he is the bread, right? My flesh, my blood, he's the bread of life. We know that. He said it. But he interprets it again in verse 58 here to him. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. He wasn't speaking about his physical body and his physical blood. He was speaking about his spiritual body given for us and his blood which was shed for us which spiritually buys and purchases our eternal life by simple repentance and faith in him. How do I know that? Look at verse 63. Same context. It is the spirit that quickeneth, makes, makes alive. The flesh doesn't make alive, if I may use a liberty there. The flesh profiteth nothing. They're right away saying, well, if I have to drink of his blood and I have to eat of his flesh, the Bible said the crowd that was following him at that time left him. They said, this is a hard saying. We nobody. Because why? Because they believed the Old Testament as true. And in the Old Testament, starting in Leviticus chapter 17 and on, it says you cannot drink blood and you dare not eat human flesh. It is prohibited in Scripture. See what I mean by interpreting Scripture with Scripture? So as you go to the rest of Scripture, you see, well, you can't drink human blood. You can't drink, you can't eat human flesh and be right with God. Well, Jesus, because he is God, manifests the flesh and knows beginning and ending. And, and with the Holy Spirit, they wrote the book. He knows he's speaking a spiritual eating of him and a, and a, and a spiritual drinking of his blood through faith. And he says the flesh should not profit anything. And then, then this is the key right here at the end of verse 63. The words that I speak unto you, all I just said, right, contextually, all I just said, they are spirit and they are life. I believe you can take that same thing and apply it to our passage. 
because that's the way he interpreted what they took to be physical. He meant spiritual. And the emphasis is always on the spirit. Why? It's forever. The flesh, it don't profit, it's going to die. Your body is going back to dust. Some of you faster than others. Why does God cause your hair to go gray? Or at least you guys. Why does God cause your hair to go gray? Why? He's, he's giving you a heads up. Some of your hair doesn't go gray, it goes away. Why? Why does God, Job answers the question, why does God give you wrinkles? Some of you don't have a wrinkle, boy. I look at some people who don't have a wrinkle on their face, and I think, let me fast forward this about 50 years. You look like, it looks like a, looks like a, a geological all-terrain map. We're getting all these wrinkles because God says your, your body is getting ready to leave you. Now, remember, it's going to leave you. It's going to go back to the dust, but you're going to God. By the, grace. By the way, saved or lost, you're going to God. Saved or lost, you're going to God. Some are going to go to him at the great white throne judgment and face him with an eternal, never-dying soul. And some are going to go to the bema seat of Christ and face him with an eternal, never-dying soul. And some are going to be allowed to go to heaven, enter into the joy of thy Lord, and some are going to be cast into the lake of fire to be encapsulated and contained there so that when God makes a new heaven and new earth, they are not allowed to destroy it like the one they have now, like the one we're living in now. Sin is the most destructive force in the universe. So, and I, most of you know this, and I'm not picking on anybody, but the Catholic Church took this physically, not spiritually. After that verse, they, did, they ignore the, the spiritual application of this, and they say, well, no, when you take communion at the Catholic Church, you actually drink Jesus' blood, and you eat his, you eat his body. That's a sad case of affairs, because that contradicts other places of Scripture. And when that contradicts other places of Scripture, it cannot be true. And when you partake of the communion at Gospel Baptist, you are partaking of Welsh's grape juice, fruit of the vine. Sometimes Welsh's grape juice. Some of them deacons, they slip some stuff in on us. I don't. And then you're partaking, oh yeah, you're partaking of unleavened bread, sometimes stale, sometimes fresh. Nobody promised you a rose garden here at the gospel. But those two things represent his body, which has been given to us, and his blood, which has been shed for us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. We call that memorial. Some people die down here, and they ship their bodies up to where they own the grave plot, and they're buried up there. And then what we do is put their picture up here, and we have a memorial service. They're not here. But even if we brought their body in here, as we have done, and opened it up, and we'd say, are they there? No. They're gone. We're having a memorial service, any way you look at it. He said, this do in remembrance of me. Jesus Christ's blood has been shed, and is at the mercy seat of God. It's not. It's already gone. 
And so, he has died for us spiritually. He has shed his blood for us spiritually. And we're saved spiritually. Our body is not saved. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says this way, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, as it is written, curse everyone that hangeth on a tree. You know the phrase, in Christ, in the Bible, occurs some 77 times in the New Testament. We are in Christ even this morning. Am I physically in Christ? No, I'm spiritually in Christ. I'm physically right here. But I'm spiritually in Christ. And so let's, you say, what are you, where are you going, preacher? If I haven't confused you yet, well, I haven't done my job. The mountain that he talks about in our passage, which he says, if you say to this mountain, be cast in the sea, and you have faith without doubting, it'll be accomplished. And all things you pray without doubting in faith, of course, if I may say in Jesus' name, born-again Christian, and all those other conditions I mentioned, it'll happen. Now, there are a lot of older Christians in this auditorium this morning who have a whole list of mountains that God has cast into the sea for them. They have, that's why I love hanging around old folks. I'm not one, but I like hanging around them. Because in South Florida, if you're 66, you're an old. Here's the young thing. And you're 20, I don't know what to tell you. But anyway... But the whole list, as God grows you and in those mountains and you go before him and there's a mountain, an immovable object, an impenetrable object, an impossible object in front of you and you say, oh Jesus, help me. I know you want me to overcome this and I know you want me to have victory, but I can't do it. In me is no good thing. I don't have the power, but you've got all the power. And I believe without doubting. And Lord, if I doubt, Lord, help thou my unbelief. And you see that thing overcome. Maybe it could be a mountain of a bad habit. How many here have seen God remove a mountain of a bad habit? Raise your hand. Amen. Some of you are a bad habit. God, buddy, you can laugh at me and mock me, but smoking had a death grip on me. Maybe your mountain is some other sin. Some other, what the Bible calls besetting sin, you know? Some besetting sin. And you've struggled with it and fallen. But you get before God, and I believe this verse gives you some assurance that if you'll pray without doubting and not quit and stay with God on it, that he'll remove it. What is our you all about? Our you is about what I'm talking about right here. There's no magic with RU program. The power is in understanding this and is simply applying it one day at a time. Maybe, maybe your mountain is, are some pleasures. Maybe your mountain um, is pornography. Oh, early on in my child, my young teens, I got into some pornography. And let me tell you what, I felt immediately, I felt in my spirit, it's power. 
I felt that if I would go to that, I would never see the light of day again. I have rarely in my life felt power, addictive, domineering, controlling power like I felt when I began to delve into pornography. And it scared me. I says, I'll be looking at this stuff every waking hour. And God broke it, broke me free early. Maybe it's fear. Maybe your mountain's fear. I don't want afraid to do the will. Well, God wants you to do something. It could be fear. Why don't you just claim the mountain and say, fear, by the grace of God, be cast into the sea. I have people tell me, you don't understand who I am, preacher. You don't understand how fearful I am. You don't understand how shy I am. You're looking at a shy introvert up here this morning. Scared to act, talk in front of people. I would rather get beat up, drugged behind a car a couple of miles or drive on 41 than to... Get up in front of a bunch of folks, start talking. But God gave me my mountain. He called me to do it, and I said, well, if you want me to do it, that mountain's got to go to the sea. And it did. Now I'll talk your leg off. Now you're hoping I quit talking. My brother Jim Bennett used to be an introvert. I wouldn't be surprised. A lot of preachers I talked to were natural introverts and were not people. Friendly. I know you have a hard time believing this, but I didn't used to be sweet like I am now. I, I just, I know it's hard to believe. Maybe your mountain's anger. Maybe you, maybe you can't hardly drive down 41 without cussing. Maybe, maybe every the drop of a hat, you snap, bite the head off of whoever. Oh, I've got before God. I had a terrible anger problem. If you don't believe it, just talk to my wife about it. I had terrible until this afternoon. That is, but uh, I had a terrible anger problem. My son took a lot of that wrath. Oh, I, I laid it on him. People say, well, I don't spank with anger. Oh, I did. I spanked with wrath. And, uh, but I mean, I said to God, I got that mountain, man. I'll never be able to do anything for you. Nobody wants to hang around an angry man. Rightfully so. You'll learn his ways. You'll learn the ways of intimidation. And, and, and Lord God, that's not who you were. And that's, I'm supposed to be like you. you got to help me. And I began to pray in faith. Lord, show me. And he began to show me. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many here had the mountain of anger in their life or still have the mountain. By the way, that mountain sometimes want to come back. Boy, maybe something huge 
in your life will come in. It just will not seem beatable. Preacher, you just don't understand. I've never been able to whip this thing. Have you really got to the place where you go before God and say, Lord Jesus, I know it's your will. I must have it or I die. I must have it or I die. I must have victory. Too high to scale. Too big to move. And Jesus is basically in this passage in our text, he's saying, pray. I can do it. You believe God can do all things? That with nothing with him, nothing is impossible? Oh, it's easy to say yes. Not so easy to day after day after day after day get up and say yes. Because that's what's got to be. Because if you're double-minded, uh, don't expect to receive anything from God. I just said that. The Bible says it. If you're going to go out and be in sin Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and expect God to help you on Saturday, forget it. If you're, if you're going to you know, regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord's not going to hear you. If you're going to pray for just, just, just to enrich yourself, uh, God's not going to hear that. If you're just going to do something that's going to be, um, it's, it's, it's going to be in for the flesh, which profits nothing. God's not into that. He's into the eternal. He's into, the, he's into what's alive and going to stay alive. Going to help you. He says, he says in our passage, pray to me. I'll do it. Believe in me that I can do it. Keep believing in me that I will do it. Don't quit on me. Faith is a verb more than it is a noun. It's more action related than it is a, a, a static thing. And so faith is just getting up and saying it every day. Faith is asking God every day. Faith is not giving up. Faith is not quitting. Doubting is quitting. You doubt, you quit. And you know what he says? I'll give you the victory. You say, you see this little fig tree wither? <sighs> you see that mountain? I can help you with the little stuff, but I can help you with the big stuff too. And God will come on your behalf. Verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, you should not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, it shall be done. Father, this morning help us. Forgive us where we have in our minds developed a small little God, a little small, impotent, anemic God that can't really do much. Forgive us where we have not searched out in the Scripture and misunderstood and taken just one ingredient and tried to make a whole complicated, a whole meal. No, no. Help us understand the whole of it. Help us to seek your will. And when you show it to us, Father, help us to do it. This morning, there's folks in this room, no doubt, struggling with some of those things I mentioned and some of the things I have not mentioned. I trust that the Holy Spirit will take what's been said here today and go with it. Father, I ask you that there be one in this room without Christ, their personal Savior, 
God's been just a, a, a verbiage in their life. He's just been a vocabulary word. He's just been a symbol. He's just been something uh, taught by mom and dad or maybe going to church, maybe, maybe, maybe even a, a member of an organization or a denomination, but it's not personal to you. That's not the salvation Jesus talks about in John chapter 3. He says you need to be born from above. You need to be born again. That's internalizing God. Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit in whom God dwelleth? Salvation is big. It's the, in, it's the internalizing of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood and given body for us. Father, we pray that you'd explain these things as you so well do. And if there be one in this room without Christ, they may find some help at invitation time. There may be some folks in this room that are struggling with an addiction or struggling with a mountain, some mountain. Maybe not something that would they, may Lord Jesus today they in faith just come and say, Lord God, give me victory in this mountain. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.